A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, September 14th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the State Division of Medicaid is hoping to add work requirement to the program. What will it cost the state? Because this is another layer of bureaucracy and red tape this state cannot afford. And we'll hear what factors make Mississippi one of the country's most obese states. Then a Mississippi U.S. attorney is announcing the indictment of career criminals and drug traffickers following a year-long operation. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Health advocates are voicing concern over what changes in Medicaid will cost the state. Mississippi's Division of Medicaid is waiting for a decision on its work requirement application. If approved, recipients would have to work 20 hours per week to keep health care coverage. People would also participate or could also participate in workforce training or do community service. But for those who work, some will earn too much money to qualify for benefits. The circumstance presents a dilemma some say will hurt the most most vulnerable Mississippians. Joan Auker is executive director at the Georgetown University Center for Children and Families in D.C. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier more. So this proposal will not help uh, parents work. In fact, it's likely to have the opposite effect. They're going to be less likely to be able to work, not more. What we know from the neighboring state of Arkansas is that this proposal this is not working there. Uh, folks are unaware of what's happening, and they're simply losing their health coverage by the thousands. So this could be a very dangerous proposal for Mississippi's most vulnerable families. Why is not expanding Medicaid an issue in the whole uh, discussion of the work requirement? So great question. Mississippi could become the first state in the country to have a work requirement in a Medicaid program where you have not expanded Medicaid. And the reason that's important is because that means the only adults that you have that would be subject to this new reporting requirement would be mothers, primarily, very low-income parents. Those are the only adults, unless you're disabled, who can get uh, Medicaid in Mississippi. And Mississippi is very stingy with its Medicaid program, so you only have uh, very, very poor, primarily mothers... Uh, especially those living in rural areas and disproportionately African-American, 
who will be hit very hard by this proposal. The state itself projects at least 5000 a month a year would lose coverage. And uh, we know when parents lose coverage, their kids may lose coverage as well. So this is really uh, very dangerous for Mississippi's most vulnerable families. So if the state had of expanded Medicaid, what population would have been added that would have made a difference? Right. So if the state had expanded Medicaid, all adults up to 138% of the poverty line would be eligible for Medicaid. So even if you didn't have a child in the home, you'd be eligible. Right now, Mississippi only covers parents up to 27% of the poverty line. Those parents above 27% of the poverty line are already out of luck. And what this proposal would do, essentially it would end Medicaid for those parents because it creates a catch-22. For those moms, if they meet the work requirement, they are going to be over income eligible for Medicaid. And if they don't, they're going to get kicked off. So either way, they're going to get kicked off. So essentially, Medicaid for parents in Mississippi would be ended if this proposal is approved by the Trump administration. Now, the Medicaid, the state Medicaid division did say that they would extend coverage for two years. Will that make a difference? So they did say that. And when you read the fine print, the extension would only apply to 2% of those affected. So that's not going to help at all. The 2% is people who meet the work requirements every single month and meet other red tape requirements over a 24-month period. And because families come in and out of Medicaid, and when these folks work in a low-wage economy, wages go up and down, that's not going to affect their own numbers show only 2% of the affected parents would be helped. So their revision really does not improve the situation at all. The bottom line is you would see thousands of parents and probably some of their children losing their health insurance if this goes forward. Georgetown University's Joan Alker with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Alker says although 319 of 320 comments submitted during the public comment period were against the move, pending federal litigation could determine whether such restrictions are legal. Linda Dixon Rigsby is attorney and health law director with the Mississippi Center for Justice. She tells our Desiree Frazier the center submitted a comment. All Mississippians deserve access to affordable health care. This is a human rights issue. No one should go without health care. And when you think about the most vulnerable not even having access, none of us should rest until that happens. Is there any way that you as an attorney, your organization could stop this from going forward? Is there a way for you to block it? Every opportunity the Mississippi Center for Justice and anyone has had to offer public comments to the Mississippi Division of Medicaid and then to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, HHS, we have. So we have memorialized uh, in the submissions why the work requirement would have adverse effects to Mississippians and why we think it should be opposed and and ultimately denied. How do you think it's going to be received? Um, We heard uh, that there have been 320 comments, 319 are opposed to the proposal. It's good that Mississippians are letting the federal government and the state of Mississippi know we don't like this, that it's going to make, have an adverse impact on Mississippians and for people who need health care the most, people who are most vulnerable of our population, we're letting them know we're watching and we don't like it. 
Center for Justice Attorney Linda Dixon Rigsby. Roy Mitchell is executive director of the Mississippi Health Advocacy Program. He says the costs could add up quickly. There's a lot of layers of verification here. Uh, This is being promoted as a, a job training program. Job training programs are not free. Um, it's going to cost in terms of state resources, and there's, you know, a lot of reasons to um, implement efficiencies in healthcare, Medicaid included. But this is not an efficient program. This work requirement program will add another layer that's going to cost the state. And I think legislators should take heed of, of Jones' analysis. Um, and this is very timely given that our legislative budget office hearing is coming up. And I'd be very interested to know exactly how much this is going to cost the state and if it is addressed at all in terms of the state legislature and the division of Medicaid. You know, our legislators are always saying, um, if only we had free reign of the Medicaid program, if, if only we didn't have the, the federal government looking over our shoulder. Well, if this is an example of what the state does with uh, free reign, then uh, we should all be very concerned because this is another layer of bureaucracy and red tape that this state cannot afford. What about the accountability piece of just not giving people health care, having them uh, work for it in some aspect, even if it's community service? Oh, we, we wholeheartedly support that. What we need to distinguish here is that Mississippi did not expand the Medicaid program, whereas our neighboring state, Arkansas, did, and they're implementing a work requirement. In a state that did not expand Medicaid for whatever reason uh, that the governor uh, promotes at a given time, no, it makes no practical sense whatsoever. All Mississippians need to become informed on, on this dramatic change in Medicaid policy. MHAP Director Roy Mitchell with our Desiree Frazier. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid is handling the application. The State Division of Medicaid says it's working with agencies, the agency, to determine the cost. In a statement, the federal agency says it doesn't comment on when a decision will be made. Coming up, we'll hear what factors make Mississippi one of the country's most obese states. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPBonline.org is the destination for everything Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Catch up on past shows from Think Radio, check out MPB TV or Music Radio, and become a sustaining member all from one place. Get connected now at MPBonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi is once again coming in second on an annual list of the fattest states. That's according to this year's State of Obesity Report from the Trust of America's for America's Health and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Researchers found more than two-thirds of adults in Mississippi are obese or overweight, and the numbers are increasing. John Auerbach is CEO of the Trust for America's Health. He tells us Mississippi's status as a poor state may contribute to its reputation as a fat state. We look at uh, the obesity rates in every single state. This is done with a telephone survey. It gives us accurate and up-to-date information about the state of obesity in the country. In the 15 years, have, has there been a dramatic difference? Yes, we have seen a, uh, a dramatic increase in uh, obesity levels uh, in the states. Uh, to give you uh, some sense of that, In just the last five years, from 2012 to the data in 2017 we released today, 31 states had statistically significant increases in their obesity rates, and there wasn't a single state 
that had a statistically significant decrease in its obesity rates. That would suggest that this is a, an epidemic that's reaching all parts of the country in very serious ways. Mississippi, very serious health consequences. Mississippi is included in a handful of states that have adult obesity rates at or above 35%. Among those states, many of them are in the South. Why is that the case, that Southern states produce more obese adults? Well, that's a complicated question, and there, there certainly are a number of reasons for it. I'd suggest that there may be uh, two that are worth considering among, among several. Uh, one of those has to do with the support that's given to the public health department in the state. Uh, Mississippi has a very strong uh, state health department, but it doesn't have uh, sufficient resources, for example, to work as comprehensively as it could on the issue of obesity. Um, where states have invested in their public health departments and given them the resources to work on obesity, we've seen an improvement in the obesity rates. A second reason may have to do with the poverty rates within the states, the overall income level within the states. We have seen that poor health and obesity levels are strongly correlated with poverty. The lower the income, the higher the obesity rates, and the more serious the health issues. And because those states tend to have lower uh, incomes and higher poverty rates than other states, that puts them at disproportionate risk. Is it but fair? As I said, there are no simple answers. There really are complicated um, and multifaceted reasons for rates this high. Is it fair to say that Mississippi has an obesity epidemic? It is fair to say that. Um, there are so many people whose lives are harmed as a result of obesity in terms of their health consequences, diabetes, heart disease, hypertension. Um, this causes a lot of illness and premature death. So it is it's worth thinking of it as if it's an epidemic and a kind of an epidemic that we respond to with the same kind of seriousness that we um, we respond to an infectious disease outbreak. Uh, we need to take this seriously, and, and we need to have all sectors of the state involved in working on it. You know, we hear often diabetes leads to high blood pressure, to heart disease, and other complications. Why? What is it about diabetes that is having that effect on the body? Obesity affects all of the organs in the body and uh, causes significant impairment with many of those organs. Um, diabetes is strongly correlated with obesity. We, as we've seen, the obesity rates go up. Diabetes goes up exactly on the same slope. And with regard to diabetes, I'd, I would just highlight um, 14% of the adult population in Mississippi have diabetes. That's the second highest percentage of any state in the country. Diabetes is the number one cause of blindness, amputations, and kidney failure. Um, and so knowing that it's connected to obesity is a reminder that this is a, a very serious condition. Obviously, there's no quick fix to curing the obesity problem in Mississippi, but what would be most effective in getting a start on it? The research that we've conducted um, indicates that people want to make the healthy choice. They want to eat healthier foods and exercise for the most part, but sometimes 
their the choices that they want that they're able to make depend on the choices that are shaped by the communities in which they live. Um, some refer to it as your zip code determining your health more than your genetic code. If you live in a community with no grocery store or limited transportation, it will be harder for you to eat healthier foods. If you live in a community without safe parks or recreational facilities, it will be less likely you'll exercise. So the policies that have been affected, effective are the ones that work on those conditions. They work on making it easier for uh, people to make healthy choices. If children go to school and the only foods that are served in the schools are healthy foods, healthy and delicious foods, that the kids will eat healthy foods. If the schools offer recess or physical activity during the day, the kids are much more likely to burn off their calories and have more of the needed exercise. If we can create environments that nurture that kind of healthy behavior, we'll begin to see these obesity rates go down. John, is this report available for the public to see? It absolutely is available for the public, and it comes along with a lot of other material. If someone from the state wants to get a customized report uh, that looks at uh, Mississippi, they can do that. And the website is www.tfah, for Trust for America's Health, tfah.org. John Auerbach is the president and CEO of the Trust for America's Health, and this is the 15th annual The State of Obesity, Better Policies for a Healthier America report. John, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. Coming up, a Mississippi U.S. attorney is announcing the indictment of career criminals and drug traffickers following a year-long operation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson, and Ocean Springs, Get to College advisors help students and families plan and pay for college. Learn more at woodwardhines.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A multi-agency operation is leading to the arrest of career criminals, drug traffickers, and gang members in South Mississippi. The U.S. Attorney's Office, Jackson County Sheriff's Office, and Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives collaborative effort has resulted in multiple arrests. This after a 13-month investigation. Mike Hurst is the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Mississippi. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier more about the operation. Federal, state, and local law enforcement uh, announced on the Mississippi Gulf Coast an operation where we executed numerous arrest warrants in and around Jackson County for various federal, state, and local crimes. Um, This was really the culmination of about a 13-month multi-agency investigation led by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, with the assistance of the uh, South Mississippi Metropolitan Enforcement Team and the FBI's Safe Streets Task Force, really focusing on career criminal offenders, armed drug traffickers, and documented gang members in and around Moss Point and Pascagoula. You have spoken in the past about trying to begin to target gang activity in the state. Is this a part of that effort? It is. We're looking at expanding the Project Safe Neighborhoods initiative that we've been uh, operating in Jackson, Mississippi, under uh, the acronym Project EJECT. And we're looking at expanding that throughout 
the Southern District of Mississippi. We're here on the coast after this um, uh, over a year investigation by ATF, where we in the U.S. Attorney's Office have already indicted 17 individuals from this investigation. And really, Desiree, what I'm excited about is we've been able to snatch 97 illegal firearms off the streets to make those streets safer for our law-abiding citizens. How many people, you may have said it already, did you uh, arrest in this operation? So we've arrested a number, but so far um, our office, the United States Attorney's Office, have indicted 17 individuals for various federal crimes. Um, Almost half of those have already pled or have indicated they intend to plead guilty to those crimes. What type of crimes? Can you be a little bit more specific about some of the cases here? A lot of these crimes will be illegal firearms charges. Um, we'll be sending out the names, ages, residences, and uh, charges of these 17 individuals. How serious a problem is the crime and the drugs that you're finding that you have to create these kinds of teams to spend time investigating their activity before you can bring them to justice? Well, as you may already know, um, in the city of Jackson, where we have focused our resources first in the U.S. Attorney's Office, um, our capital city is the seventh deadliest city in America, if you can believe that, based upon murders per 100,000 people. What we're finding is around the district, we also have an issue with violent crime. And uh, we've come to the coast. Um, Someone told me the other day that in the past year, Moss Point uh, had experienced about 500 shootings over that one-year period, uh, which equals about 41 shootings per month. But since the ATF has come in with this investigation, since they've been on the ground, since we've been prosecuting their cases, um, I I hear that we're averaging around uh, one or two shootings per month now. So I think the presence of the feds and the partnership, that's the key, the partnership with our state and local law enforcement is really having a positive effect on the communities we're going to. We understand that all 82 counties have a gang presence. Are you seeing that that is the main component here and that they're spreading out wherever they go and recruiting people? Gangs are really an issue throughout our state. Um, As you mentioned, we have uh, gang members in every single one of our counties. Uh, And we're seeing that pop up in violent crime that we're prosecuting. Um, We've seen it in Jackson. We're seeing it down here on the coast. Um, And it's not just the big national um, gangs that we all know by name. It's a a lot of these street-level gangs that pop up in various cities. So, yes, unfortunately, gangs and gang members are recruiting younger and younger associates. Uh, They're getting them to commit this violent crime. And we're trying to figure out a way to head that off so the uh, the communities are safer. Yeah, because I would think it would be overwhelming for many of the small law enforcement departments around the state with firepower and having the wherewithal to be able to surveil these groups. Right, it is. And we have been very blessed to have great partnerships with our state and local law enforcement. And I think that's the key. By collaborating more, by coordinating more, by pooling those resources together, I think we can accomplish a lot more. Well, Mike Hirsch, U.S. Attorney, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you, Desiree. In other news, Mississippians across the state will participate in National Public Lands Day activities and care for the state's protected properties. The Day of Recognition, Resilience, and Restoration of Natural Resources has spread from one to many in Mississippi. Events will be held in Columbus, Tupelo, Vicksburg, and Fulton. Scott Babinovich is Chief of Interpretation at the Vicksburg National Military Park. He tells us more. 
has always been in the end of September to encourage public lands to host volunteer days to help in the park, you know, whether it's from maintenance needs to any other needs, just to um, engage volunteers any way that we can. And it sounds like you're engaging volunteers to take ownership in a park. Yeah, that's that's one of the really neat things about volunteerism. You know, when you engage volunteers and give them something concrete to contribute to any public land, a sense of ownership and a sense of stewardship and a sense of of pride develops. And that's something that we want to nurture through volunteerism, is not just getting people excited about the parks, but making them to feel that, that sense of pride and ownership here, too. I know you represent Vicksburg, but do you know if there are any volunteer days in any other place in the state? Yes, there are a couple other volunteer events throughout the state. And this year, they're actually going to be scattered over the next couple weekends. So um, there, there's a website for National Public Lands Day where you can go on and actually pull up a map, and it'll show you all the events all across the country, including the others that are happening here in the state. If someone wants to volunteer, do they just show up? Is there a place online to sign up? Yes, so, um, so either or. You know, we definitely will be accepting folks coming in that morning to sign up as volunteers, and we greatly encourage that to happen. But there is also opportunities to sign up in advance. Um, if folks just go to our website, which is www.nps.gov slash V-I-C-K, you'll actually see a link to our volunteer events, and there is a phone number that can be called and also an email address to, to sign up in advance. Scott Babinowicz is the Chief of Interpretation for Vicksburg National Military Park. Thank you so much, Scott. Oh, sure. Thank you. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, it's Next Stop, Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. 